This is the Thanks for Sharing podcast, the podcast where we explore all things recovery, healing, and relationship. Remember to subscribe and download episodes in the iTunes Store, the Google Play Store, or on the Podbean app. You can find more Thanks for Sharing at www.thanksforsharingpodcast.com or on Facebook at facebook.com slash healingpaths. That's paths with an S. Hi, everyone. Welcome to Thanks for Sharing. I'm Jackie P. And I'm John T. So we're going to start our um, episode today with an announcement. We've kind of teased this in other um, episodes that we've had recently, but we're going to um, let you in on the tease and just tell you flat out what we're doing. So we have launched another, um, I guess it's a another business, right? It's another... Hopefully it'll yeah. turn into that. We'll see. <laughs> on paper, it's another business um, called One Layer Deeper. And the the one of the things that we started seeing as clinicians is a um, kind of a hole in treatment services mm-hmm. or kind of this gap in services that a lot of times you know people on the on the front end of recovery really get some awesome treatment services mm-hmm. and things to really get them going and gain some traction and then usually it looks like then you kind of transfer if you were inpatient or if you started outpatient but if you were inpatient you transfer to outpatient and kind of taper down you know to maybe once a week kind of stuff and and some groups some outpatient groups mm-hmm. Um, but what we find is sometimes there's this need to go work certain issues kind of on an intensive basis. And it's not it's not working these issues because you're in crisis right. over them. I think that's where a lot of like longer term intensives, uh, inpatient, uh, that's where it's more focused is this crisis, get you sober, right. get you to quit destroying your life. Or allow you a safe place to unravel. Yeah. Um, so that's not necessarily what we're looking for because those are out there. Um, but we found these places. I had a, a client I was looking for um, this type of thing several months ago and couldn't find it. Just I mm-hmm. need you know a place to really work this issue in an intensive way, like mm-hmm. in a three day. You know you're at it multiple hours a day um, to work this issue because outpatient just wasn't. Kind of, I mean, we could go to that depth, but then you know he had to pop back up because he yeah. was living life. Yeah. So we couldn't find these services and thought, well, maybe we should you know start offering them. So our first one is going to be June twenty first through the twenty fourth uh, here in Midway, Utah, which is a beautiful, um, you know, just kind of past Park City. It'll be beautiful that time of year. A little mountain resort. Yep. Um. And the topic is going to be dating and recovery. And we know that that's an issue for many of our listeners. We know that's an issue for many of the clients that we see. So we're launching that with this announcement. And then this episode is focused on dating and recovery. And we have Amy Smith from Worth Recovery. Hi. Who we have um, started the business with. We're collaborating in this business venture on offering these intensives. Um, so yeah, we, we're happy to have Amy here. We're happy to talk about this. Um, we wanted to talk a little bit, just kind of the do's and don'ts and maybe what people encounter as they're dating in recovery. Yeah, and before we get into the meat of the episode, I just want to mention um, the website. Amy did a really great job building this out mm. for us, and it um, tells you more about what you can expect at these um, intensives. And you can also schedule yourself to talk to one of us, uh, Jackie, Amy, or myself, if you're interested, and that's onelayerdeeper.com. But we're happy to have Amy today. Welcome. Thanks. Glad to be here. 
Yeah, so let's just kind of start out talking a little bit about um, what, you know, so one of the first things that we would require of participants is that they're sober. Um, and because, you know, we don't want to destabilize somebody who's maybe kind of sober mm-hmm. or early in sobriety. Um, so we want people who are sober, but let's talk for a minute about what are some of the issues that people encounter um, around relationships when they start to get sober. Yeah, so I would say that, like, a lot of the questions that I get from people is that they are sober. Mm-hmm. Um but they're maybe a little bit more on the avoidance side of mm-hmm. relationships. Right. Uh, I particularly work with women in sex addiction. And so they, they've they been sober for a while, but I would say even to the point of avoidance of relationships or intimacy because they don't want to destabilize. Right. Because they what they have found is working for them and, and they don't, and they're afraid of working past or uh-huh. getting, digging back into a relationship because they're afraid of destabilizing. Yeah. yeah. And it's, I, I often observe it's this really tricky spot in recovery because it seems like there's a time where most people are all too happy to just not have relationships on the table and not have to worry about that. And then there comes this time where um, I think recovery naturally brings us to looking at relationships again. Mm-hmm. And so if we're scared of that or we're worried about getting destabilized, there's this real internal t- tension around part of me really wants this and another part of me thinks this is the worst thing that can happen but it's all I think about like (laughs) it's a really difficult place to be when you start wanting to get back into relationships and recovery yeah for sure and so that's one of the reasons I'm super excited about this is because in a three-day intensive place we can talk about those issues both avoidance and the fear of getting into a relationship but I think like you said everybody you know that famous quote from Brene we're all going to have lunch with her next week, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. Is, you know, that we're all hardwired for connection, right? Yeah. And so you do, you get to this place where you're like, I have loved not having relationships on the table for a while. Uh-huh. Um, and yet I feel like that I, that's my next step. Yeah. Yeah. So walk us through a little bit, Amy, and the, the women that you work with, um, kind of what do they go through to get to a point where they really start seriously considering taking a look at dating in recovery? So I think initially we go through that period of time where, you know, like we're sober for a couple of weeks and we're like, I want to get back on the horse and get in a relationship, <laughs> right? right. And, and so then, and maybe we even try that once or twice and then we realize, uh, that's not going to work. And so we have to take a longer break. And so we get to that longer break whatever that looks like for us, six months, maybe a year, I don't know, whatever that looks like for you. And then, you know, for me, it happened where you start to just notice everyone, you know, different relationships around you. You start to see people dating, you start to see people in marriages, you start to see those types of things. And they're like, wait, I, I'm missing out, you know, Mm -hmm. I'm missing out on something. And there's another layer of my recovery that I need to talk about if I, if I want to get there. And so I think the first step is just that noticing period where you start seeing other relationships and you're like, oh, wait, I, maybe I could do that. You know, maybe mm-hmm. I feel like I'm a little bit healthier where I could maybe engage in something a little bit differently. Kind of trying on the what if. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. And then actually digging into it, you know, and making that first like contact with someone. Um, and, and that's so fear-based a mm-hmm. lot of times. And, and there's that fear of, wait, I can't do this or, you know, I don't want to jump too fast or recognizing like, you know, you have one date and then you're like in your head, you're, you know, 
into stage seven in a relationship already your after names, one day, right? Your children. <laughs> That's right. You're naming children. And and then you recognize, oh, dang, I've got some issues there that I haven't worked. Right. And because I haven't been in a relationship, those issues haven't popped up before mm-hmm. or I haven't worked through them yet. Uh-huh. And so you have to kind of, you know, you get to that point and where you realize there's work I need to do still here. Yeah. yeah. I I find with clients, it's one of those things when they start putting dating back on the table, um, like you were saying, they learn things about themselves that maybe they haven't really seen up close and personal for a while because they took themselves out of relationships um, just to get sober and get that traction. But they start to see parts of themselves again. Um, They start to become aware of what pulls them into relationships. Mm -hmm. And we may have to work those issues because some of those may be trauma bonding issues, right? And what attracts us to somebody is not the healthier parts of our story. Um, And so becoming more aware of those and then how to navigate that. Um, They might, might find that you know, things that are attractive to them now. You know, I find this with clients sometimes where they've been in therapy long enough and they're they're opening themselves up emotionally in ways that they never have before. But when they start dating, the people they're dating don't even know how to do that or don't know what to do with that, right? So they're also looking at, I want to do this in my relationships, but other people like haven't been to therapy for a year Mm -hmm. (laughs) so they're not aware of how to do this and how do I navigate that piece because I do want that in my relationship but I think I scare people you know because I go in too open yeah or or I'm just emotionally comfortable Mm -hmm. and it makes them incredibly uncomfortable Mm -hmm. so yeah I think there's a lot that people encounter that way again that are pieces and knowing kind of a timing of when to bring that in and how to pace that. Right. Well, and then just the divulgence piece of at what point do I say like, oh, P.S., I'm an addict, right? right? Mm -hmm. Like, you know, at what point do I say that? And do I have to, what does that look like? Do I have to say the whole thing? Do Mm -hmm. I have, you know, how how deep do I have to go on on that, right? Right. Or like what you were saying, I'm a a rescuer, like that's my drama triangle spot. (laughs) And, uh, And so what, you know, I some... I used to be drawn into relationships where, because I, I could save Where they you. needed a rescue. Right, you know, like, I, I could do that, I you know. And now I definitely feel that, like, uh, you need a rescuer and I don't want to be part of that, <laughs> right? But at the same time, I, I feel my, like, I feel that pull. Yeah. You know, and so how do I, how do I make sure that I navigate that in a way that's healthy for both them and me? Mm-hmm. And so I think there's a lot of different pieces of that. Yeah. We all that as we put that back on the table and we feel that pull to start doing it, there are so many different pieces we have to investigate. Yeah. yeah. So what are what are some of the common pitfalls you see, Amy, as people get started into dating as part of their recovery plan? Um, yeah. So uh like uh so we tend okay, this was just something that happened just last week with a woman I'm working with. Um she's back in dating, she's trying to date and She's like, okay, so I've decided we were working on putting together a dating plan. So she's like, I've decided that after four dates, we're going to have sex. And I'm like, okay, four dates. She's like, yeah. And they they had gone on one date and then they did three dates, three days in a row. So she'd Mm. known this guy for four days (laughs) and she's having sex with him, right? Four dates. Yeah, four dates, you know, and that doesn't, that doesn't really work, you know, as far as we put these, 
I think addicts tend to be black and white thinkers, mm-hmm. and so we put in extreme. So we put these limits on ourselves and say, you know, like after four dates, we're going to have sex, mm-hmm. and whether that's appropriate or not, you know, there's no gauge in. Is this a healthy emotional right. relationship? Is this, do I want to have sex, you know, after four dates? Um, it was just like four dates, have sex. That was kind of her plan, you yeah. know? And, yeah. And so. Which can look good on paper. Right. Right. When you're coming up with it, I could see clients being like, yeah, I've got a solid dating recovery plan. Right. Or if, you know, if their history has been we have sex on the first date, date. one, yeah. right? Then this is progress. That's huge progress, yeah. right. right? Four dates, you know? But still, there's no. There's no internal evaluation right. that says, uh-huh. like, are we emotionally ready for that? Right. Am I ready for that commitment? Is that what I want? Do I want this type of intimacy yet? Do you know there's none of that? And so well, that's like a huge I've, pitfall. I've asked clients before who, you know, did kind of a, we're going to date for four dates before we have sex. And then they're talking to me about that. And I'm just like, so where did this person grow up? Like, right. how, you know, like what place are they in their family? How many siblings do they have? You know, and they're do just they like, have a middle name? I have no idea. And I'm like, oh, okay. We might need to look at some of the relational pieces to add into when I'm ready to have sex. Right. I, I know like, you know, what, what does this person, what does their friendships look like? Mm-hmm. I don't even know if they have friends, mm-hmm. you know, things like that, that, we should know about somebody before we're being intimate in bed with them. Right. Well, and I, I think even um, most of our married couples that we work with, kind of their hallmark of we've got a good relationship is that we have we have a sex life that we both like. Mm. Um, and I think some of this, like, dating out or having sex after four dates, like, that's the end of the dating plan. Right. Whatever gets us to sex. <laughs> um, and there's a lot after that. And then let's hope it's good sex that both of us like, but we probably haven't talked about that. Right. right. Well, and what, like, that's really backwards on the priorities of what a good relationship is, right? If, right. If my whole dating plan is around physical intimacy then I've, I've got an issue, yeah. right, mm-hmm. on what the priorities of my relationships are. Mm-hmm. And so that's that's a pitfall that we fall into, especially those of us that come from sex addiction backgrounds, yeah. right? Like, it's it feeds that whole, like, um, faulty core belief that sex is my right. biggest need, mm-hmm. right? Like, if my dating plan is centered around yeah. when I'm going to have sex. I, I think there can also be a piece, and, and I think rightly so, where somebody is really excited to get back to sex as part of their life because for so long it's been toxic and maybe this person has gone a significant period of time where like Patrick Carn says it's a wonderful day in your recovery when you wake up and um, you have problems that aren't related to sex mm-hmm. um, people can be feeling that relief and really excited to jump back into that arena because it's not out of control anymore it's not chaotic anymore right um, I think of it as kind of like a Christmas morning phenomenon like we just <laughs> we want to get it going because this is a really exciting then big you're thing s- Standing in the wreckage of all the wrapping paper, like, <laughs> and it's over. That went so fast, <laughs> right? Yeah, all so the anticipation, fast. and now it's over for a year. <laughs> um, you know, I was talking to a client the other day, which I do want to clarify um, that this intensive dating and recovery is open to both genders, uh-huh. right? It's open to multiple addictions. You know, so you don't have to be a recovering sex addict. You may be a recovering alcoholic. Um, the relationship issues are still tough for anybody in recovery and probably not in recovery. Um, I think the relationship issues snag people. You may be a partner um, who has, you know, gone through a divorce and is skittish about getting back into the dating scene post-divorce. Um, this intensive is open to anybody, um, 
you know, members of the LGBTQ community. We're all going to walk away with your individual, I mean, we can talk about that, and I think it's on the website, Mm -hmm. kind of the objectives, what you're going to walk away with, right? This isn't a place to come and meet people to date. Right, right. This is not a hookup weekend. (laughs) Right. right? But but everybody's (laughs) going to be doing their work, and I think there can be some incredible work done with both genders there. Um, The three of us will be there, and then um, walking away with like a dating plan. But, you know, I was talking, I was going to mention this. I was talking to a client the other day, and, you know, he was talking about his sex life. And he just, you know, was saying, well, but sometimes, like, sometimes I'm just horny. And sometimes I just want to get off, right? And is that a good reason to have sex? And I said, well, I, I don't know. Let's talk about that. Like, mm-hmm. what what sex does that look like, right? And and what is the need for the partner or a another person, a sexual partner, if you're really just looking to get off? Like, what, you know, and, and I know for different people in their recovery program, um, masturbation may or may not be on the table. Um, and for him, I just said, what about that won't masturbation cover, right? Like, why is she necessary? And what you've just explained to me that you're looking for what purpose would another per- person serve in that? Because that seemed like that was pretty self-focused, which is fine. But talk to me about what's the difference, right? And one of the um, awarenesses that he started to have is for him, a lot of his sexual encounters really have not been relational. Mm-hmm. And he didn't know how to do that because when he was with a person or whether he was just getting off himself there wasn't a whole lot of difference and the focus wasn't all that different, right? So it opened up some things to start to look at and work on, um, which again, we'll be exploring those things in this intensive. Like, what are you trying to create with a person? What are you trying to create in your life? Right, that relational piece of why do I want a partner in my life, right? And what 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 is that going to change and what kind of world and life do we want to create together right mm-hmm. you know outside of i mean intimacy is a part of that right for sure but it's and, bigger but, than that but it's bigger than mm-hmm. that it's much bigger than that you know and i think that a lot of people when they start dating you know those those are really big questions that they haven't really necessarily explored with previous relationships mm-hmm. because especially like i said those that come from the sex addict background Relationships really weren't about creating, you know, an, a world or a life right. for ourselves or a partnership, right? It was, it was more focused on one individual, either them or their partner, and it was a lot of conformity mm-hmm. and then a lot of physical intimacy. Uh huh. So I'm, I, I hear this come up often with um, people that I work with as they start moving into that I'm ready to date place. Um, should I only date other people in recovery? Mm-hmm. Um, and one of the one of the tricky things that that turns into is um, even if um, they have really solid recovery and great support system, it turns the rooms into like a matchmaker game, mm-hmm. um, and it kind of ruins that space. Room. What, what can you like? What what wisdom do you have there, Amy, uh, for our listeners? Um, wisdom. Let's see. Well, I would say that you don't want to necessarily limit your dating pool to those that are only in recovery. Um, there's a reason we're all in recovery. And, you know, like we talked about earlier, sometimes you've been in therapy for a while and so you are more 
comfortable with uncomfortable feelings and you're more emotionally available and open. And so there's a tendency to think, well, they would be too, right? Because mm-hmm. they've been in recovery for a period of time and, and things like that. And, and then I can also make jokes about like sex addicts and different things that happen in rooms or, you know, mm-hmm. and they'll get all my jokes, right? And they'll like, it's part of just kind of part of that lifestyle right. that I've been leading. Um, and yet at the same time, you know, there, there, are, there are lots of other people available that yeah. are, that right. can be emotionally available and, um, and that you can do those things, you know, build a life with, you know, it's not just not limiting that. Mm-hmm. And we don't want to turn your safe environment into, you know, a your safe place circle. full of your exes. <laughs> yeah, a place full of exes, right? You know, and if you're dealing with a whole bunch of stuff coming up while you're engaging in dating, guarantee that they're dealing with a whole bunch mm-hmm. of stuff coming up while they're engaged in dating as well. Again, I'm not saying like you can't, right? But I'm also saying don't limit yourself, you know, to that, and yeah. and recognize that that's no guarantee, right? There yeah. is no guarantee that that's going to be a great a great relationship just because you both come from a similar background yeah. or both yeah. have a common history. Yeah, you know that that's no guarantee. Yeah, we've seen in in some of the advanced recovery groups that Jackie and I have done. Um, one in particular that I think stood out to me and the men in that group is we, the group wasn't about sex addiction. Right. Um, yeah. The group was about men forming close relationships. Um, and they were so in the habit of introducing themselves and then talking about their addiction. What they really got to try on is different aspects of themselves and different facets of their life and try on different things to lead with. And I think that's mm-hmm. something to look at as you're looking at dating and recovery, how comfortable are you kind of untethering from that, my name's John and I'm an addict, and, and moving more into I'm John and I really like or I'm really interested in mm-hmm. and letting yourself lead with some other parts of your life. Um, yeah. Because I, I think that's one of the reasons why I see people really locked into I've got to date in the rooms or I've got to find mm-hmm. someone to date in the rooms is because they don't know themselves very well mm-hmm. outside of the rooms. And and I would say, too, I think there's something, um, when we start to do the relationship piece, there's a level of shame that we start to unearth that starts to unlock um, to where, yeah, they may be like, well, other addicts in recovery aren't going to judge me, but I'm not worthy of anybody who hasn't had a story like mine, right? Who hasn't had a four-step inventory that is not pretty. Like, those people, I'm not worthy to to be in a relationship I would always be in a one down and so again I think we saw in that advanced men's group kind of them grappling more with some of the like lead with your strengths Mm -hmm. and what we found is they were super uncomfortable with that right and they they had a hard time because they were maybe you know not Maybe not intentionally, but they had gotten used to leading with their story in mm-hmm. order to remind themselves of why I needed to do what I needed to do or all that other stuff. But in another way, like in relationally ways, it got them in a rut that then they didn't kind of know how to step out of. Yeah. Well, and I would say, I mean, the AA program teaches us that. Lead with your weakness, right? Yeah. I mean, that's one of the big things that, that we reinforce and talk about. and. When we're coming into recovery, you know, to try to gain sobriety, it's a nest. Like, I feel like it's a really necessary piece, right? As we're trying to really remind ourselves, I've got to be really intentional about what I'm doing Mm -hmm. so that I stay honest. Yeah. Because 
all addicts are liars at some level, right? Mm-hmm. And so, like, just, you know, really, that's reinforced right. so often and so necessary at the beginning. But, mm-hmm. like we're saying, there there comes a point where that's that's tethering. It it's yeah. keeps us down. It doesn't allow us yeah. to move well, forward. I, yeah, I talk about kind of just the life paradoxes that we run into, right? Mm-hmm. And this is one of them. That at times it's necessary to lead with your weaknesses, and that's helpful to you. At times, you need to lead with your strength, and mm-hmm. and later in recovery, you need to develop the ability to do both. Right, early in recovery, if you're leading with your strength, um, you might not quite humble yourself and be <laughs> like, "Oh yeah, I'm here in recovery for <laughs> right. a reason." Like, right. my life is unmanageable. That. Right. right, you know, like there's some my chaos going work on. Got my right ass right here. Right, so we've got to look at those things, um, but at the same time. You know, here at this kind of later stages of recovery, we're developing different skills, and then it becomes necessary to enter this paradox of mm-hmm. actually there's both, right? And I need to be able to know or feel when it's time to lead with mm-hmm. my weakness and acknowledge that I'm a imperfect human being um, and when it's time to lead with my strengths and how to get comfortable with people seeing both of those things about me. Right. Yeah. I remember early on in recovery, um, I was in a job where I met like a lot of new people every week. And after a few weeks, I remember like dreading that question of, so tell me about yourself. Right. (laughs) And I was just like, uh, like blank stared, stumble. Like like a first step. (laughs) I'm I'm Amy and I'm a sex addict. You know what I mean? (laughs) You're just like, and it, it it was really difficult at the beginning because you're trying to just strip everything down and get really honest. And yet I, I, in, in these situations, I, you know, it was different. And uh-huh. so, but it was really difficult for me at first. And I think we struggle with that getting back into dating, you know, right. like here, you know, I've been sober five years. Right. And yet in a dating relationship, you know, the idea of like, well, who are you? Tell me about yourself. And, and I still take that deep mm-hmm. breath that's like, oh, yeah, that's right. Like, I don't have to, I don't have to say mm-hmm. I'm an addict and this was my, my history and this is where I came from and this is blah, blah, blah. Like, you know, I can talk about other things. And yeah. mm-hmm. and that's a real struggle. It's a real pitfall that people mm-hmm. fall into getting into recovery, you know, or getting back into dating. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Because they, they, they have developed this, like, rigorous honesty. And so they want to be honest with people. And how do I do that? And I can mm-hmm. be honest about strengths, right? Yeah. And what I'm doing in my life that's interesting. But have I even developed that? I think that's another thing that people that fear that people have getting back into dating is if they haven't spent time developing who they are. We talk a lot about that identity crisis that people go through in recovery. Mm-hmm. And if they haven't really dug into that or leaned into that and figured out like, oh, these are the things I like to do. These mm-hmm. are, you know, this is what I am. This is who I am. And and those types of things, if they're still living in that, I'm an addict, I'm an addict, I'm an addict, and that's just who I need to be, mm-hmm. then then it's a, it's a huge fear to get yeah. into recovery and to date outside the rooms, right? Yeah. Because what what do I bring to someone? Right. What do I bring to that relationship? Yeah. Well, I've, I've also seen this really persistent fear of if I'm not leading with the absolute naked truth about myself, I'm manipulating. Mm-hmm. Um, Being deceitful. Yeah, we, we do that in addiction on all sorts of things. Um, yeah. And so I think being able to reclaim some of that space of I do have a best foot that I can put forward. Um, and there That's are, not lying. And I'm not lying. Yeah, right. it's right. not lying. It's not deceitful. Right. There are parts of me that you earn the right to to witness, to see. Because again, when we go into the rooms, um, we really strip that away and we're not... Anybody sitting there recovery. gets yeah, to know any, it. Yeah. yeah, anyone sitting there gets to know it. Um, and th- that's often 
something that I, I start to see click for my clients um, as they're moving toward the more relational side of recovery is they might look at, I don't know if I want to share everything mm-hmm. in my rooms because there are these people here that I don't feel safe with. Uh-huh. Or they may start looking at the sponsor who got them into recovery and really had them work a very rigorous program but can't get them beyond just getting sober. Yeah. Um, and so they really start looking at what do I want and what do I need mm. in this. And there can be a lot of guilt mm-hmm. around kind of moving from that crisis into the this is my world and my recovery and I get to co-create mm-hmm. that. Well, there may be a lot of guilt. We also might start running into some of the codependency issues, mm-hmm. right? Which some of the clients, the male clients I work with, have a hard time seeing themselves as codependent. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, it looks different for some of my male clients. Um but it's there nonetheless, and they might, you know, have a hard time with just that. You know, for so many of our clients, um, their playful side has been tainted with their addiction, right? Yeah. Whether that was alcohol, drugs, sex, all of it, right? I mean, so many different factors. Their playfulness in adulthood and maybe starting in early adolescence was tainted. And so it's getting to know this playful side again in the light of day, right? And with some of my clients, I've had them be saying, you know, maybe they're dating somebody and there's nothing necessarily, um, like there's no red flags about the person they're dating. There's nothing glaringly wrong, but they're just not feeling it, right? And, And I'm like, okay, so start dating somebody else. Was that okay? Well, you're not committed, right? You're not committed to this person. Right. You've gone on a few dates and you don't really like them. Mm-hmm. Like, so, yeah, why wouldn't you break that off? Well, because, you know, the, the relationship isn't going down in flames. So I can just end it. Yeah, just end it. <laughs> kind of on this Thanks. no drama note, right? right? Yeah. Just, it was great knowing you. Yeah. Just end it. And they're just like, but that's a codependency issue. Yeah. Right. right? Well, shouldn't I sabotage it? Well, sure. <laughs> let's, let's light it on fire and watch it burn. That would be great, wouldn't it? No, that's not fun. But again, that goes back to this like level of unmanageability that they lived with for so long. Right. right? And then being and able things to... end because they're bad. Right. Because right? you just can't tolerate it. They are unmanageable. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> You know, and just going back to this, like, I get a choice. Mm -hmm. I get to decide what this relationship looks like. Right. If I'm not feeling it, that's fine. Right. And maybe it's nothing more than I'm just not really liking this. I don't even know why. Right. Okay, that's fine. Right. Right. And being okay with that. Right. And not sabotaging it, (laughs) you know, or things like that. Yeah. Yeah. It's kind of crazy. Yeah. What, What would you say, Amy, are some of the things that you see people doing right in dating and recovery? Uh, going slow, you know, um, try like really trying to, to be intentional about what they're saying, what they're doing, you know, how they show up in a relationship, um, looking for accountability, you know, seeking to have like that accountability partner that says like, you know, this is what I'm committed to and this is what's going on and, and really trying to live in consultation, Mm -hmm. um, around their dating relationships. Mm -hmm. I think that we... You know, for so like we have a, we have a sponsor, and and sometimes you know our sponsor is just really focused on um, sobriety, right? We have therapists, we have different people that we've lived in consultation with, and yet sometimes we think, oh, 
I should be able to handle my own dating life, right? <laughs> or it feels <laughs> like, weird or young to talk about that. It feels weird or young, right, yeah. to talk about, you know, dating and what that's like and, and all those types of things. And and so keeping that, that support system and that consultation yeah. that we've built in our lives, even around dating, um, especially around yeah. dating. And, you know, I find with clients who may start dating – one of the reasons they don't talk about it, too, is because they're going to get a lot of opinions about it. Yeah. Right? They'll get people who are like, you're not ready. Um, they're going to get a lot of people who have rigid rules. They're, they're just going to get a lot of people who have opinions. And sometimes, again, going back to maybe these family of origin issues or the codependency issues, they don't know what to do with all of these opinions. Right? Mm-hmm. They don't know how to listen to everybody's opinion and then... Take in what they hear and still still make their own decision. Yeah. Right. And I was going to say that. Like, the other thing I feel like people hopefully are doing that I've seen done well is just learning to trust themselves again, mm-hmm. you know, and just that internal gut that says, yeah, I'm, I'm okay with this. My sponsor might think I am crazy to go yeah. out and date again, right? right? Because a lot of times if we have a sponsor or we have a support circle that have gone the avoidance route and just right. really aren't engaging, then they're scared their fears projected on us, uh-huh. yeah. right? They're scared, so they think we should be scared, yeah. right? About and there's people that. who have really come to care for us in our recovery process, and they're scared for us to take this step because right. they know it's a big step and yeah. could go down a route that may not be good, right? right? So there, there may also be just a heightened level of concern mm-hmm. that says, let's just kick that can down the road and, you know, put mm-hmm. it off some more right and so this is what we're really hoping to give people who come to the intensive is um kind of this mix between a cocoon where you can really get in touch with your own feelings Mm -hmm. and your own desires when it comes to dating and what you need to do what the next right steps are for you um and also this ability to talk to other people in recovery and hear about their experiences and learn from each other Mm -hmm. um about what works and what doesn't work um in dating in 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 recovery Um, And again, the setting, I think, is ideal for that. There's going to be a really great mixture of um, group activities Mm -hmm. and things that will help us explore as a group and lots of opportunity to be quiet by yourself, reflective, contemplative, um, and also to have a lot of fun. Right. Um, Because I I think, damn it, at some point in recovery, life has to be fun. (laughs) For sure. That's why we're doing this is to enjoy the life that we've chosen again. Yeah, absolutely. So, Amy... um, we probably have some listeners who haven't heard you on before, and we forgot at the beginning. Like, tell us a little bit about who you are, how people find you, find more about you. Oh, yeah. Thanks. Um, so, I'm Amy. I'm the founder of Worth Recovery. Um, we focus on women in sex addiction who are wanting to get sober and, and move on with their lives from their addictive uh, nature. I have a podcast, Worth Recovery. You can find all that information at the website, worthrecovery.com. You can find the podcast on iTunes or anything like that, any Podbean app or anything that you can find podcasts, it's there. So, yeah, that's what I do. I do recovery coaching. I work with individuals, um, male and female, who are looking to get sober and to move on with their lives from, from addiction and move into recovery. Yeah. And I will just add for some, we, we did a whole episode with you on recovery coaches. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, some therapists have, um, coaching isn't necessarily in, in place of therapy. Right. Um, we've collaborated with you on people that you're coaching 
um, and we've done the therapy side of stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, it works really well that way. So just don't think, you know, because you're maybe have a therapist that is working well for you that coaching may not um be something that you'd be looking at and you can go further back. I don't know off the top of my head what episode it is, but I'll we put talked it in the notes. Okay. We talked about um, just kind of how to mesh coaching and therapy together. So that's great. Yeah. yeah. And I, I really feel like this is like the perfect, this intensive is like the perfect melding, melting pot for that. Right. Uh-huh. Because a lot of, a lot of our dating and a lot of those recovery issues that we have, like, are really handled well with the coach who's been there, who's done that, who's gone through those things. And yet a lot of those deeper relational issues, we need that therapeutic support and trauma support around, mm-hmm. you know, understanding all of that. And so this is a really great opportunity for for both of us, which is why I'm so excited to collaborate yeah. with you guys around this whole thing. I think that it's just a big, huge hole for, for recovery. Yeah. yeah. Moving to that next layer. Yeah. So where I'm excited also... I don't know if we put this out there before, but we're doing one in the fall about uh-huh. family of origin. Right. right. You know, that's another big issue that comes up even in dating, you yes. know, mm-hmm. as we're getting to dating and we start to realize like these family of origin beliefs and holds, you know, things that have been holding us onto us for a while. It, a lot of that comes up in dating. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So I have a client who's going through a divorce currently and got our flyer about dating and recovering was like, I'm totally not ready for that yet, but you're going to go into family of origin. I need that. And I was like, oh, don't worry. <laughs> That's coming in the fall. We'll get you. Um, yeah, so so check out the website, onelayerdeeper.com. That's O-N-E, layerdeeper.com. Um, and if this is something that you're interested in, uh, we'd love to spend 20 minutes on the phone with you exploring this more and seeing this is the right fit for you. So find us on the website and uh, set up your time to talk to us. At the end of this episode, remember that your story matters. Remember there's something meaningful in every chapter. Don't wait to share your story till it's finished. You can share your story with us on our Facebook page, Healing Paths, Inc., or on our website, www.thanksforsharingpodcast.com. This podcast is solely for the purpose of information and entertainment and does not constitute therapy, nor should it replace competent professional help. At the end of another episode, we want to remind you that nobody has time for perfection. We are pursuing progress. And remember the prayer of the perfectionist. Help me remember I can't do it all. Help me to take things one step at a time and that the only step I need to focus on is the next right step for me. Help me to remember that life is a journey. Help me to be able to separate all that I am learning from all that I have to do. Help me to remember that I am not alone, that I can ask for help. Help me to strive for frequent awakenings, not mastery. I am enough. Amen.